Welcome to each of you. Uh, this is the front porch. Now, you may have to turn your imagination on to get there, but it is. And I'm very grateful for Brenda Rice-Cattell, assisted by her husband, John, who put this thing together. Nice job, you guys. So, uh, join me, if you would, uh, on the front porch. Ah, uh, the front porch. I grew up with one. How many of you grew up with one? Yeah, lots of you. I have fond memories of life on the front porch. It was a fun and it was a safe place. And as you know, in our country, safe places are disappearing rapidly. But for the most part now, the American front porch has become this kind of unused relic from the past. A lot of houses we see here in Sheboygan have them, but they're not used. It's an architectural feature and a cultural symbol that has lost its meaning in a lot of ways. Why? What's happened? Well, if we roll the clock back to, uh, say, 1917, 100 years ago, you could easily find streets in most American towns in which every single home had a front porch. Every home did. Hmm. How times have changed. The front porch was once a space between the public life out on the street and the private life behind the front door. A porch was more than private because it was a place uh, that was separated from the intimacy of the parlor by that front door. Now, people often did business on the front porch. Those were the days of traveling salesmen, and, and you would greet passers-by when they were on the street. And the front porch was a place where neighbors talked and their kids played. Well, hey, Megan. How's it going? Good. Good? Good? How's the start of school? Good. So far, so good? Uh, let me ask you this, Megan. Did you do your homework? Yes. You did. Because you know what your dad said? He's not home from work yet. He asked me to check on you to make sure you weren't out playing basketball before your homework was done. Oh, I don't play basketball right now, so. Well, you're not. What are you doing with that ball then? <laughs> dribbling. You're dribbling the ball. But let me ask you again. Did you finish your homework, young lady? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess I believe you. Well, go ahead. Take your ball and go shoot some hoops, okay? okay. Good to see you. Good to see you. And so families did life together on the front porch. Hmm, my. Times have changed. Times have changed. Cultural anthropologists point to cars as the major factor for the demise of the front porch. Cars? Automobiles, the demise of the front porch. How does that work? Cars allowed Americans to move out of town into rural areas that were less expensive. And those who could afford it were likely to build a new house on a large secluded lot where they didn't have to see or hear from their neighbors. And so things began to change. Welcome to suburbia. Now in suburbia, garages rather than the front porch greet you. My son-in-law sells for a developer in Indianapolis. We were there last week. Streets lined, and what greets you is the garage door. That's making a subtle statement, I think, about our culture. It's suburbia. Now, the new porch is 
now the backyard deck. People put grills and fancy furniture and fences around their backyards so we can have privacy as a family. Hmm. And that's also the case in many apartment buildings where you walk out on your balcony and you want to have some privacy out there. But in more recent years, other technology has accelerated the demise of the front porch. It's called air conditioning. Air conditioning. Before the air conditioner, people sat outside in their front porches. They got to know each other. They would sip cool drinks. They played games. They chatted for hours. They shared lives together. Hey, Tamika, how's it going? Great, great. How's it going at home? I know you and Kyle just took this huge step to leave the corporate world and start your own business. Is God providing? Big time. Good, good. Hey guys, how you doing? Daddy's not home quite as much, is he? No, but he's doing something very important. Are you guys excited about school? Okay, that's an honest answer. Hey Copeland, how old are you? Hmm? Four, when's your birthday? It's in February, you're going to be five. Well, good. Where are you guys going? Okay, <laughs> well that's good. Well, get off my front porch, would you? <laughs> God, talk to you later, say. <laughs> and so life was shared there on the front porch. This is how people operated. There was this healthy, laid-back kind of togetherness within a community. Then the air conditioner comes along, and it changed the way we do things. It allowed people now to stay indoors pretty much year-round. Heater. Winter, air conditioner, summer. In the absence of front porch connections, uh, these front porch connections of people just kind of doing life together, relationships began to drift. And in fact, relationships within communities and neighborhoods began to disintegrate because everybody was now inside their home. Air conditioning also contributed to another technology that would put another stake into the heart of the front porch. It's called the television set. As a result, the center of family life would shift from the front porch to the family room or the TV room where now families would spend all of their time, many hours, watching television with this newly, uh, this new invention called the TV dinner. And so the family would gather around the television for hours upon hours rather than interacting on the front porch and, and doing life in community. Now the community was brought indoors. No longer would families relax outside on the front porch, but even that changed. You know what happens today then, and I'm not talking about ain't it awful, this is just an observation. Families uh, no longer even watch TV together. Because in the world in which I exist, in which my grandchildren exist, everybody's got their own device. And everybody's watching different things at the same time. Hmm. we are drifting further and further toward isolation. And of course, we can throw more technology on it. One more, the garage door opener. That's always a good one, right? Now we could completely avoid our neighbors. And in fact, many new neighborhoods constructed in this country today have no sidewalks at all. Further discouraging interaction. The results, American society has changed. 
I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's changed. Overall, we've become more and more individualistic and independent and less community-oriented. I think we would all agree with that. Those of us that are a little older would agree with that. Those of you from different ethnic backgrounds would definitely agree with that. We are becoming less community-oriented. Instead of having deep and lasting friendships, most people don't even know the names of their neighbors. And I don't say that to condemn, but just this is the way things are. And at the same time, the priority given to the family is also decreasing. There is less family interaction. There is less family time than ever before because everyone is on their device watching, watching. We've turned on our screens so we can be alone and safe. It's just me and my family against the world. But it's not your family because everybody's on their own device and everybody's going in different directions. And we spend our time watching images of other people and other families living their lives along with events that are kind of twisted by the media, forming our own opinions and conjectures. And so we become a society of watchers. We're watching other people do life. It concerns me deeply. We are becoming disconnected rapidly, and we are increasingly lonely at the same time. It's weird. It's weird. I'm going to talk more about this next week. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We want to do life differently here at Southside. I believe the church has got to be an anchor against the cultural trends and flows that we're experiencing. Our concise, clear, and I believe compelling purpose why we exist here in this church is to connect. To connect. That word is a verb. What is a verb? What is a verb? It's an action word. That's right. A couple of definitions. To join, link, fasten, unite, or bind together. Or to be meaningfully related. To be meaningfully related. Connected. Connected. We're living in a world that is becoming increasingly disconnected relationally. That is a concern. So I'm using the front porch as an illustration. If you are a Gen Z or a Gen Xer or a millennial, you, you don't get it. That's okay. That's okay. But I want to put it in historical context because what's happening in America just didn't happen overnight. It's been a process. So our purpose as a church body is to connect. We begin by connecting people with God. That is the ultimate purpose of the church, that we might worship and glorify God. That's the purpose. The purpose of the church is not to reach the lost. That's God's mission, that he invites us to join him. Our purpose as a church is to honor and glorify God. Now, a growing intimate connection with God doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come easily. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes drive. It takes determination. And it's not desire that changes our destiny. It's a decision. Now, you're in church this morning because you have uh, this good intention, and rightfully so, of knowing God better. Great. Fantastic. I think that's marvelous. Thank you for being here, being a part of the body of Christ. But it's not a desire, because we all have good intentions, that changes our destiny. It's a decision. So the decision's got to happen tomorrow morning. What am I going to do with God on Monday morning or Wednesday afternoon or Friday night? Where is God in that picture? See, I can have all the good intentions in the world to connect with God, but unless I am willing to live that out by the decisions that I make on a daily basis... It's really not going to go too far. But we want 
us as a church body to be connected deeply with the Father. Connected relationally with him. Our heart to his heart. Now, connecting with each other comes next. And I'm so glad that God wants and desires a love connection with us. <laughs> that just thrills me. That kind of blows my mind. But from this God connection then will flow then a connection with each other. And that's what we're going to be talking about the rest of this service and next week. How do we connect with each other? Mm. But let's go to the last piece and then we'll come back to that. We then, once we're connected with each other in a position, then a unified position to connect with our community and our world. How are we going to do that? A couple of changes coming this fall. We've done faith and action on Sundays for about seven years now. We're not going to do faith and action on Sunday this fall. We're going to do them on two Saturdays, two Saturdays. And so on September 30th and October 7th, those are two Saturdays, uh, we're going to connect with our community because we don't want to come to church. We want to be the church. And here at Southside, we believe that we can best be the church outside of the walls of the church because that's where the church is at its best, worshiping God in here and then being the church out there. And so these are two opportunities uh, for choose one, choose both. Uh, we've got all kinds of projects. They're out on the tables there. Uh, Bob Oni is here and he can answer your questions about which project may be best for you and your whole family. So check with him. And then on uh, September 24th and October 1st, we're going to be celebrating our Global Advance Rally. And we're going to be hearing from our partner organization called Nightlight in Bangkok. And then the following week, we're going to have a missionary from Thailand here to share with us some of the exciting, incredible things God is doing in that country as well. Uh, yesterday, we had a meeting of those interested in going to Thailand in August of next year. Very exciting. Very exciting. There's still a few slots open, so I ask you to prayerfully consider, does God want you going to Thailand with us next August? Would you pray about that? Listen to what the Lord says. A couple of openings still left for that. But God designed us for connection. God designed us for connection. It is a verb. It is an action word to be meaningfully related. He's designed us for connection with him and with others. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Here's what God said. Way back in the beginning in the book of Genesis, he said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper who is just right for him. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's not good for man to be alone. I think we all understand that concept. I think we do. People were never intended to live independently of God or each other. We're not created that way. And yet that is the way our culture is headed. Hmm. Pollster George Barna conducted a survey which revealed that 92% of Americans claim to be independent. Think that's a good thing? 92% of Americans claim to be independent. For many people, independence then becomes a goal. And if this congregation is representative of the American culture, then the majority of us have as a goal to be independent. Now, I'd like to come against that thinking. You see, we want to be independent. We want to be financially independent. I don't need to be dependent on anyone. And so we have our goal to financial independence through our wise planning. Not necessarily a bad thing. Hmm. We want to be professionally independent. I don't answer to anyone. I don't answer to anyone. I want to be professionally independent. 
And we want to be relationally independent. I don't need anyone in my life. Just me and my family that you think is really cohesive in a unit when everybody's on their own screens, going their own directions. And it's Jesus and me thing. How's that working for you? Because uh, we are created for relationship. That's the way that God designed and made us. And so I'm wondering if many well-intentioned Jesus followers are really living a lie and pursuing a goal that is directly opposed to the Word of God. Hmm. Many fail to realize that to be independent is to be clearly non-Christian. To be independent is to be clearly non-biblical. Because the Bible is all about being dependent on God and each other connected in relationship. If we are isolated, we are no good. The body of Christ fails when we are isolated and independent. A living organism is dependent. And so think about that with me. I wonder, do we really get that? We have to stand against the cultural trend. Oh, independence is a great thing. Ah, man, if we could go to other countries and other cultures, we'll see it's life is not lived like that at all. More about that a little bit next week. Huh. God designed us for connection with him and with his people. I see it right from the beginning. The book of beginnings called Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. So God did something about it. I see that also in Acts chapter 2 in the birth of the church. I looked at the observation Luke made about how the church functioned. So let's read this passage of scripture together, shall we? Uh, It's from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 43. But I think it's good to read it together because that's something we can do together and agree upon is the word of God being read together, correct? All right, so let's read together. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Marvelous passage of scripture, isn't it? And if you look at that, you'll see how they did everything together. The way that God had designed in the book of Genesis for us not to be alone, not to be isolated, but to be connected. And the church grew rapidly because of the relational connections that were there. Huh. Now, from our connection with God should flow community with others. So what does community look like? Well, the New Testament has about 51 in others. Love one another, pray for one another, honor one another. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those one another's. Most of them are commands in the original language. They are designed to help us connect and then direct us in our relationships with God, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our enemies, the lost, the found, everybody in between. They're all there. Here's how what we're supposed to do with one another. Can we do those one another's here on Sunday morning? To a very limited degree, correct? To a very limited degree. So where do we do the one another's? I'm sorry, I got my family. We do the one another's in my family. Oh, okay. That's good. That's a good start, I guess. But where do you exercise your spiritual gifts? Where does that happen? It doesn't happen necessarily on a Sunday morning where we all use our gifts and our one anotherings. No, not exactly. Where can we live out the one another's? 
Well, it's within the context of community, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's one other person. Maybe it's your home group. That's a great place to live out community. And in the early church, that's what it was. Groups of 10, 20 people meeting together. And so we have home groups here. This is a place where we can grow and find intimacy and accountability, deeper relationships. And uh, you either got a brochure, there's one for you on the way out that describes our home groups and where they're meeting and all those kinds of things. And we just want to encourage you, be a part of a group. Be a part of a group. Very, very important. Very, very important if we're going to grow as disciples of Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Power in groups. Powerful way to connect. And last week, I was reminded of this. Jesus discipled in community. Jesus discipled exclusively in community. You won't find him doing one-on-one mentoring. He never did it, as recorded in the New Testament. Hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right, Sandy? Nothing wrong with that, because we're going to hear from Sandy in just a moment about that. But the emphasis is on doing life together in community. That is the way Jesus designed this thing to be played out in community. It's our desire to see every person connected and in community. Very, very important for us to grow together in the intimacy with Jesus and with each other. So if you've never been part of a home group or if you're new to our church or just checking us out, hey, look at the home groups. I invite you to sign up. Cindy and I have had the privilege of leading a group for more than 20 years now. Some of you have been a part of the group. And as we began, the first meetings were me kind of blabbing and everybody kind of watching, kind of figuring everything out. By the time we get to May, which is the last month that we meet, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. You guys just like, yeah, which is good. Why? Here was a safe place. Here was a safe place we can do life together and where God's word intersects with our experiences. And transformation happens because of that. Wow. But back where we started to close the loop, it's not good for man to be alone. Part of what, a very important part of what we do here at Southside is home groups. Uh, Blake's going to be available, I think, after the service. There's some home group tables uh, out there. Uh, Check out the home groups that we've got. But... These next couple of weeks, we just want to give you some exposure to the change of season and some of the things that are happening here at Southside. I'm I'm very encouraged. I'm very encouraged. I I really, really am. Because God's birthing something inside of me that's a little bit different. A little bit different. But I I just sense that it's, it's right and it's time. 